Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. This hour is going to be great, like last hour was. I'm just trying to keep uh, us moving forward with uh, another great interview with Greg Morse. I find this uh, writer and speaker so interesting. He's a staff writer for DesiringGod.org, same place where we get John and Pam Bloom, so you know what kind of quality that is. And uh, he's a younger guy and a really good writer, and he's going to talk about manhood in just a minute, I had a chance to talk to him a little while ago, and we'll be hearing that message in just a minute. And then Pastor Scott Sauls, all the way from Nashville, will be joining us today as well. And that will be, uh, he's going to talk about Christian love in a pandemic age. It's gotten interesting and complicated, and Scott will sort that out for us. So let me take a little break and bring on Greg Morse. You can use today's amazing technology to grow in your faith. Faith Radio offers many ways for you to connect your faith to life every day. In addition to listening to the radio, you can also use the Faith Radio app on your mobile device or visit MyFaithRadio.com to listen to the live stream. If you'd rather listen to the program's podcast, those are also available on the Faith Radio app and at MyFaithRadio.com to hear anywhere or anytime you'd like. You can download the free Faith Radio app in iTunes or Google Play. Just search for Faith Radio. Also, if you have an Alexa or Amazon Echo device, you can listen to the live stream by saying, Enable Faith Radio and then play Faith Radio. It's also easy to share audio content and articles from MyFaithRadio.com. Just click on the Facebook or Twitter icon on the left side of the page to post a link to your feed. Put technology to good use and grow in your faith with Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. I'm awfully glad to be inviting back to the program Greg Morse. He is a staff writer at DesiringGod.org, and the first time he was on the show, it was so nice to meet him and hear his testimony and also get a, a sample of the way his heart and love for the Lord works, and he writes beautifully over at DesiringGod.org. I encourage you to go to that website and uh, Google his name, and you'll find a whole lot of articles that he's written his writing is uh, very straightforward and accessible, and I pretty much guarantee you will like his style and his writing. And he's mm-hmm. back with me today. Greg, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah. Now, let's talk about men uh, a little bit. Uh, men, you know, why Why nice is not enough. Why nice yeah. is not enough. We hear that often, don't we, where we say, well, what kind of guy is he? Oh, he's a nice guy. Hear it quite often. Yeah. Yep. And that's not always uh, the biggest compliment, is it? It's not. So to preface, to preface my comments on niceness, uh, first, I mean, different uh, texts like Titus 3, 2, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. So in a sense, yeah. of course, Christian men in particular ought to be nice. I agree. Nice. Now, what was... 
provoking to me as I'm reading through the Gospels. I remember it very, very clearly. Reading through the Gospels, and this thought came to mind. Jesus doesn't seem very nice. What he is doing here, so we talk about being Christ-like often. What he is doing here doesn't seem like a nice thing to do, right? Or even reading through different epistles in, in the New Testament, there are there's different language used that seems to go outside of this box that I had a conception of. This is what a Christian man is like, is <laughs> nice, very deferential, um, very, very kind, very quiet, very meek. Um, and so I've always tried to wrestle with, and, and coming from a, a culture where it was more the bold, you're bold, a real man's bold, he's assertive, he, he doesn't show weakness. So there's obviously tons of flaws there. But it, there's always been a, um, a tension within me when I read and see different men of the Bible. And that, so Jesus is obviously the epitome. You see men like Moses. You see men like David. You see men who are just exude this type of masculinity mm-hmm. that isn't confined to nice. Yeah. And so I, I really, in trying to aspire and trying to figure out what does it look like to be a husband? What does it look like to be a father? What does it look like to be a neighbor? What, is it, what does it look like to be a coworker and a son? These, what, is it, what does it look like to be like Christ? I had to start asking some of these questions that I couldn't put my finger on at the time. Um, so I, I do have a, a, a problem with nice being the go-to descriptor for Christian men. When I think of Jesus, I don't really think of nice, but I always think of good. Good. He wasn't always nice, but he was always good. Exactly. Giving people what they needed. Mm -hmm. And you made a a reference in your uh, story, your article, uh, called Men Too Easily Forgotten, Why Nice Is Not Enough. And I thought this is painful, but it's, it's there's so much truth in it, how men in church can sometimes be nondescript and saltless. Um, And they don't, they don't want to be, but that's just kind of the reality. Right. I have a, a great desire with a small group that I'm a part of and, and really trying to catalyze, catalyze the men to act like men. So when Paul says in Corinthians, act like men, be strong. There's a certain type of way that men ought to act that I think at at least getting to, to some of the heart of it is a type of earnestness, a type of seriousness, a type of gravity um, that comes from being men of the word and men of prayer, mm-hmm. being serious about the, the souls of men and women. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's really living in reality. If, uh, if I have been saved, if, if God has called me out of darkness into his marvelous light to declare the excellencies of that one who called me out of darkness into marvelous light. If souls are dying, if Satan is prowling, if my flesh is beckoning, there's a holy warfare that is required. And so this isn't just a manhood thing, but the, the, the messages that sometimes we hear uh, in the pews or the, the vibe that's given is we, we only need to be not bad. We only need to be not, uh, not abusive, which 
no Christian man should be abusive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not uh, proud. Not this. Not that. But we don't have great uh, vision for what we should be. Mm-hmm. What is a Christian man? How should he act? And so my contention in this article is that it's to be a Christian man is not merely to be to not be something bad, not to practice vice, but it's actually to practice virtue. So, for example, uh, in Christ, Christian masculinity doesn't merely lack cowardice, but it possesses courage. It doesn't merely lack bad views of God, but it burns with biblical convictions. And so, and you can just continue on and on and on. It's, so I, I just feel like, and I, speaking for myself, I was stuck in this kind of middle ground between not being abusive, not being uh, chauvinistic, not being proud, but I wasn't really called to do anything. Like I wasn't called towards anything or I wasn't on mission for anything. I wasn't pursuing the Lord like he calls me to. I wasn't earnest about the things of God. There wasn't anything particularly uh, manly about my love for my neighbors or love for my wife or anything like that. And so I just have a a real passion. Uh, Greg, were you trying to tamper down certain behaviors? Do you think that's what some Christian men do? As long as I tamper down certain behaviors, then I'm a, a nicer guy. Right. Versus let's have an action plan going forward because uh, people are dying and, and going into a Christless eternity. We need to act with a sense of urgency, right? Exactly. It's essentially manhood <laughs> in some quarters seems to be, or at least the message that I was hearing, is that manhood is something to be put in the kennel. It's about restraining strength. It's about restraining what, what kind of makes you uh, dispositionally a man to begin with. Let's just subdue that Uh, instead of, so instead of putting in the kennel, God says, unleash it, unleash masculinity Mm -hmm. because there is a, there's the flesh, there's the devil um, and the world to go forth and conquer. (laughs) And so I, I didn't have, I didn't have any conception of what it looked like to march forward. All I knew was that, you don't do this. You don't act badly. That's mm-hmm. all I knew. Yeah. And so Christ's calls, Christ call, Christ call to men is so much higher than uh, a prohibition not to be this type of man. It's a call to be this kind of man. And so you see uh, examples of this all throughout Scripture. And so that's what I'm really passionate about for my own self mm-hmm. and then trying to mobilize other men too, because I, I feel like also there's so the standards for Christian men in some, or at least some men are hearing the standards are so low, right? So just, just show up, drive to church, be a good guy. Boring. Show, show up small group. Boring. <laughs> uh, don't, right. So there <laughs> yeah. isn't like this, there isn't a burning conviction. Yeah. So when, uh, and the, the article is provoked by a, a young woman who, was just articulating that uh, a description of this guy is, oh, yeah, he's, he's a nice guy. And that's okay. M- maybe that was, uh, maybe that's on her. She didn't see some of the qualities of him. Maybe he just was more reserved, and that's fine. You can be quiet. You can be a, a strong man. I'm not saying that you need to be a macho, right. that you need to be loud or brash. Um, maybe if she knew him longer, she would see 
these types of godly sure. qualities in him. Um, but there's, but there's, that's too, it's too common. It's just too common. Yeah. Let me take a little break. Um, I love this conversation. And uh, Greg Morris is my guest. He's a staff writer at Desiring God. You can go to desiringgod.org to learn more about uh, Greg and his writing. We'll take a very short break. Be right back. So glad to have Greg Morse back in the studio. We had him in once, and I said, please come back, and here he is. So we're talking today about uh, uh, men and how important it is for men to to understand the real identity God has for them. Now, Greg, when you were forming this identity, did you have this behavior modeled and you saw it uh, in a, a dad or an uncle or a mentor, or did you just read Scripture and say, I think this is what God wants me to be, or both? There are tons of examples of these types of men in the church. Okay. Totally. So Fantastic. When I, I've seen the, the quiet thunder of some of these men of God, but it wasn't until I, I was really in the scriptures that I was shocked into a type of masculinity that is not broadcasted that I'm aware of, that is not held up uh, in yeah, so it was it was in reading the scriptures themselves and being confronted with who Jesus is and how he either conforms to my conception of what a man is or how he doesn't conform to what a man is. We have the manual on what manhood should look like and womanhood should look like. And so to only say, only to join the world and say, well, yeah, obviously the kid who's playing, the 35-year-old kid who's playing video games all day in his, his mother's basement it's easy to, to poke fun at that person. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you sit down and talk to that person, what are you going to say? What are you going to say to that man? What is manhood? Right. And the world doesn't have anything to say. The world can say, oh, go get a job. But what does it look like for Christian men to not just live for the things of this world, but to live for the greatest mission on planet Earth? And what does it look like for a woman to do that? Right? And so these are, these are some of the... the nuances that really uh, make salty men, men who uh, in, in Acts are men who they could tell were men who are, were, were with Jesus. We're not talking about people who are naturally or, or over and above charismatic, over and above strong, or over and above gifted. Uh, Corinthians is very clear. Not many of you were like that <laughs> when, when you were called. So what we're talking about is not this type of saltiness, not this type of uniqueness that the world is going to look like, look at and say, oh, that guy, he is something special. It's something that a man of God who is serious about worship, serious about prayer, serious about exemplifying Jesus, exemplifying Jesus in his demeanor, in his deportment, who prays for his neighbors, who seeks the benefit of his society, in his city, in his family, in his church. Not men who are, are just showing up to the different events and driving home and, do, and living life for whatever that they're doing on the side of this. They don't take their faith as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Right. I love this line, we need men who not only avoid evil, 
but embody what is good. There's a profound difference. Profound difference. Yeah. Profound difference. For men who are shining as lights, I mean, Jesus talks about this in different contexts, but let your light shine before men. Mm-hmm. This kind of saltless or in uh, Revelation where he talks about lukewarmness, I guess, I mean, you can boil down what I'm saying or what I'm trying to rally men because I know a lot of men who they just, when they hear something like this, they rally to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, man, so it's not just like there's, there, I can still be a man and pursue God. And there's a standard here. And that's a beautiful standard. And so, yes, there's, there's a difference between being a force for good and not being a force for bad. Because there's a lot of men who are not doing active harm in the world, but are also not shining a light in any real way, who are not salty, who are still lukewarm with their faith in a way that, that Christ calls, summons, invites men to, to come. Come join him on mission. Take up the sword and throw away the scabbard. Mm-hmm. Burn the boats. Like, charge in. Yeah. There's so much to do, and there's so few. The harvest is plentiful. Yeah. Laborers are few. There's, Greg, there's so many conflicting messages in the world. I mean, men need to uh, be these awesome they need to be awesome everything, right? Right. And they feel pressure and there's yeah. their pride and yeah. their ego and they want to, they're competitive. And some of that, some of the competitiveness is not bad, but, but to remain, remain humble in the Lord and then to have your, your passion, uh, to, to have courage and biblical conviction, convictions and godly leadership and be a person committed to prayer. Um, that takes a certain initiative and, and you have to commit to that intentionally. Right. It doesn't happen. And even a lot of the, the manly qualities, the, the ambitions, the wanting to conquer, the strength. Yeah. It just needs to be redirected. Absolutely. So don't, don't abandon stuff, your strength. It? Don't abandon your ambition. Yeah. Just have the right one. Have the right ambition. Yeah. The glory of God. That should be your ambition. Making him known in the world. That's, so it's, that's the, the rub is when a lot of some men come to, to Christ and then they feel like, I need to, to put, I need to quiet all of that. I need to not be aggressive. I need to not be ambitious. I need to not want to make a mark on the world when Christ invites them to just the opposite. Yeah, there's um, so much that you have in this article, and I want to just encourage listeners to head over to desiringgod.org so you can have this to read through and also have it as a little uh, a reference because it's, uh, it's got so many good things. So desiringgod.org. And Greg Morse uh, is the author in the, uh, of this article, which is great. And um, so godly men have to do more than just, uh, you know, slay their own sin, don't they? Yes, they definitely do. Yeah, I love that. Um, and then they have to run towards something, not just away from something. Correct. And even reading through a text that, that was really jarring for me, studying this recently with my wife, is Hebrews 11. Describes men, and there are women too, so maybe that's a, a separate separate time, but just sticking with the men, that in Hebrews 11, 33 and 34, they, through faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, 
obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. <laughs> yeah. Like that kind of, that, that's like a, a brave heart. That's a scene out of brave. Yeah, no kidding. In, in, the, in, in a redeemed sort of way. Yeah. It makes the adrenaline of men heighten. Yeah. Is to see that this is, and then to know that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Yeah. As a lot of these Old Testament saints who did these things was through. But we still have a battle to fight. Yeah. And so, so many of us are living like there's, we have no enemy, that there, yeah. there is no battle. Yeah. Uh, are you ready for a really hard question? Oh boy. I'm going to unleash Rebecca on you. She's got one. <laughs> okay. Craig. Really, Hello. really great stuff from a woman's perspective. How can I encourage the mm-hmm. husband or even the son or grandson in my mm-hmm. life? How can I appropriately encourage them to take these types of steps toward godly manhood? Totally. Totally. In Acts, these men were seen as bold men of God. And yet, and it's really, it's really interesting. They were seen as ordinary men. They were seen as uneducated, is what the text says. So these were, in the world's eyes, these were not extraordinary men. But there was something spectacular about them that made these people who were listening to these men astonished. And it was this. They perceived that they, their, the boldness in the face of persecution. And then, two, they, they, had, they perceived that they had been with Jesus. Men who are with Christ. That's the heart of what I'm saying right now. To make these types of men are... Men who are beholding constantly, who have Jesus constantly before him, and not the manicured Jesus, not the, the, the soft-pedaled Jesus, the real Jesus, the one who is both, on the one hand, compassionate, invites the children to come to him, gracious, tender, gentle, and on the other hand, is picking up whips, on the other hand, is rebuking Pharisees, on the other hand, is laying down his life in the most brave act that any any man has ever accomplished in laying down his life for his bride. And so I think being able to uh, point them to, to Christ, sharing the, it's, it's the same type of answer that is for all things, but then highlighting some of those qualities about Christ. And so for, for women who are hearing this and really wanting their men to grow, it's just, it's the gospel. It's repentance. It's faith. It's pointing them to that and encouraging them to it. Um, there's a kind of, uh, and this is for, perhaps for another time, a type of deference uh, that really en- ennobles a man where there's, um, hey, babe, I trust your leadership. Mm. Reminding a man that you trust his leadership. <laughs> that, hey, I want you to, to take the lead on this, and I'm so excited to follow you with this. Uh, really emboldens a man to take charge in a way that he is called to take charge. Great question and awesome answer. Greg, thank you so much for coming in and doing the show. Again, Greg Morse has been my guest, M-O-R-S-E. Head over to DesiringGod.org to learn more about him and his writing. Uh, Again, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back with lots more.
Welcome back to the show. Scott Sauls is one of my very faves, and he's senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. He's authored four books that I can think of for sure. Jesus Outside the Lines, Befriend, From Weakness to Strength, and Irresistible Faith. He also blogs regularly on his website, scottsauls.com. Scott, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be with you again. How's the routine of life for you and the family? Oh, well, it's, it's definitely, definitely different. It's, uh, it's slowed down in some respects and that we're, we're at home a lot more, uh, like everybody else these days, but, but also, um, very full. The weeks are very full because we, we've, you know, like everybody else had to get really creative about how, how our work at the church continues and, and, uh, you know, so we're doing everything differently and kind of learning on the fly. Yeah, it's a lot of work for everybody, but I appreciate uh, you coming on the show today. You know, you've uh, done some really nice work on on living uh, in the this age that we're in right now, and you've uh, preached a good sermon, do good to everyone, and you also have put some interesting, an essay written by uh, your friend Philip Johnston on, on the website as well. I would love to talk about both. Sure. So let's start with... Uh, your message, I think, which comes out of Galatians chapter 6, um, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Yes, that's a sermon we preached recently from Galatians. So do elaborate on that one, because I, I love this idea. Uh, about doing good to all people? <laughs> exactly, especially at a time when we're having a harder time being close to people. Yeah, well, that that whole passage is is one of the many, um, you know, walk in love passages from Scripture, and uh, Paul has has two emphases, uh, you know, loving well uh, inside uh, the church community and loving well our neighbors as the Lord has called us to do, and so. Um, you know, in this this current environment, this current climate, it's it's uh, you know, we on the one hand, it, it, you have to be very creative about how to move toward others, your neighbors, and those that you're in community with, with with the social distancing uh, parameters that we're all subject to. But uh, at the same time, uh, this this is a season uh, that presents unprecedented opportunities in many respects to think about how uh, the people of God, especially uh, believers in Christ, can, um, can be burden bearers and uh, uh, lift burdens for one another and, and also, you know, look toward the cities and the towns and neighborhoods in which we live and, and look for opportunities to be among the first responders to the needs around us because the needs are just going to grow as unemployment goes up, as um, people are living with a lot of anxiety due to, you know, health concerns and, and social isolation and, and, you know, the mental health issues and domestic challenges that emerge in a season like this, as well as families are cooped up together in the same space, uh, 24 seven. But I think it presents an, a lot of opportunity for, uh, for God's people, especially to be on the lookout, um, uh, about who we can care for and how we can care for them. Mm -hmm. Scott, I know as we talk about, let us not grow weary of doing good. Have you heard of some interesting, creative, practical ways 
where people have gone out and they've and they've done good? <laughs> uh, I mean, I can I can tell you that you know out of our own church community, yeah. Christ Presbyterian in Nashville, we've you know our city has been hit with a, a double whammy. Uh, we're we're dealing, of course, with with what everyone else is with with the COVID-19 crisis, um, but we also, right before COVID-19 uh, became a pandemic, a known pandemic, uh, we had a major sweep of tornadoes come through Nashville, and and it, it destroyed some of the most economically uh, struggling areas of our of our city. And, you know, as, as our city often does began to mobilize really well and really beautifully to, to lean in, uh, to the needs of our, our affected neighbors. And then COVID-19 happened and, and all of a sudden you're not, you're not allowed to even help, uh, because you're not supposed to be close to people and in the same space. And so, um, so what we've tried to do as a church is just to, to connect with as many of the, the area, nonprofits that, that are serving these communities well and have a history uh, of presence uh, in, in, in these communities. And we're, number one, uh, you know, trying to, trying to mobilize pools of people who will be ready when the time comes to, to, to go back out to, to volunteer and serve. But we're also channeling a, a lot of resources toward um, food banks and you know, sort of the more immediate needs that people have um, uh, who are in crisis. And so we've, you know, we've, we've passed out, you know, food cards. You know, we're, do, we're doing what we can and the, that's within, you know, responsible behavior because of COVID-19. And, and we're, we're trying to submit to our state government and local officials as well in terms of the way we do things. We're just trying to look for creative ways that, that, that we can serve now, but also trying to mobilize for how to love our neighbors better, um, you know, when, when we're able to actually be with our neighbors. So do you have any idea what you think will come out of this as the body of Christ? Do you think we will uh, drift back into uh, where we were before, or do you think we will be bolder than we've ever been before? I don't know. Um, you know, that, that, that remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. I think we're we're all doing ministry in, in a vacuum right now. I mean, I, I preached yesterday to um, to an empty sanctuary with with uh, thousands and thousands of people apparently dialing in, <laughs> but I have no idea who those people are or where they come from. I don't know if they're from our our city or if they're from um, Nevada uh, or or London or something, you know. And so so we're there, there's just a lot of unknown. Um, you know, we hear back anecdotally from people uh, how much they appreciate us staying in touch through online mediums and that sort of thing. But you, you really just don't know what kind of impact it's going to have. You know, there's the sort of the fear-based perspective that says, well, people are going to get so used to not being part of church, they're not going to come back. Uh, and, then, and then, you know, we're, what we believe and what we're starting to hear from people in our world is that they're really missing, um, uh, the life of the local church and the ministry of the local church and participating in the mission of the local church and are eager to get back to that. Uh, people miss the Lord's supper. They miss being together 
and so on. So I think you're probably going to see uh, a departure uh, from church life uh, of, of people who might be more in the nominal, um, you know, category of, mm-hmm. of not really, not really being, not really centering their life around their faith. I think you might see some people just kind of fade away that they're in that category, but then people who really see, you know, local church and life in Christ and community and mission as, as part of who they're made to be, um, will probably come back with more vigor and more gratitude, uh, for what they have and, and more eagerness to serve and contribute. But who knows? We'll, yeah. we'll only know in retrospect. So. Yeah. Scott, is yesterday's message still pretty fresh in your head? Can we get sort of the greatest hits from it yesterday? Oh, yesterday, Easter Sunday. So we preached on, um, on Peter uh, and his restoration when, when Christ restored him after he denied Christ three times. And, and uh um, you know, the angle that I took, it's, it's still there online. People can go to our website at ChristPres.org if they want to listen to the, the, the message. We keep the live stream recorded after the fact for anybody who wants to go on. But, but basically, uh, I talked mainly about the posture of Jesus toward his disciples who had betrayed him the last time, you know, they, they had been meaningfully together. And, and he, he, invites them to eat with him. He, uh, he affirms them. He encourages them. He extends his grace. And, and, you know, especially with Peter, he restores Peter, uh, who had denied him three times and, and then sends Peter out to, you know, feed his lambs, feed his sheep and so on as the famous story goes. But I think the takeaway is that, that, uh, and I think Jesus's message to Peter was we always, need Jesus more than we love Jesus. And, and Jesus is very much there and eager to, to meet our need, uh, with his love toward us. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the gist. Uh, and of course Christ is risen. Yeah. I love it. <clears throat> there was an interesting, uh, um, response in the Minneapolis paper the other day, and I, I actually copied it down because I found it interesting. They were talking about, um, the COVID-19 and the, the Easter weekend and the, the writer, and it was an anonymous. Uh, so it was the, this faith, this faith thing is getting harder to understand. We have a virus sweeping the world that the God you are all praying to could have stopped, even prevent. Yet we go through all this ritual every Sunday to bow and pray to a God by the way, that didn't want shrines and shiny objects made in his name. At least that's what I was taught in Sunday school. So how about we put all this religion stuff aside and just be good people, good neighbors, and realize we're in this alone. No God, no 2,000-year-old book to guide us, just you and I and our basic human will to survive and be happy. Hmm. Well, uh, you know... uh that may sound inspiring to some people's ears. It sounds, um, it sounds demoralizing to mine. I, I, <laughs> mine I, too. Just, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine life without God. I can't, I can't imagine what the world would be like if it were just up to human beings to, to make things right. I mean, we've had over history, we've had three manifestos written by uh, secular humanists and atheists and agnostic, you know, scholars saying, Hey, we've got this, we can, 
create a utopian society. We can we can overcome poverty. We can overcome war. We can overcome racism. We can overcome domestic violence. We can overcome all of these things by pooling together our human ingenuity and strength. And and it's just never worked out that way. And you know, meanwhile, um, you know, and, and I think what's missed in the article you just quoted is that the whole Bible itself was written in 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 a context that involves, you know, pandemics like the, like the plague in Egypt right. or, or being in prison like the apostle Paul was when he wrote a lot of his new Testament letters or being persecuted under persecution, like every, every writer of the new Testament was, or Moses, for instance, uh, you know, out in the wilderness, like every, every book of the Bible was born out of hard times, uh, where people were, uh, tempted to doubt the existence and care of God, and yet it was through those hard times that they discovered how great His love is, and how near He is, and, and how He overcomes, um, you know, the the deepest hardship and sorrow with with His love and with His promise of resurrection. And I, I mean, if you try to get rid of God too, you you still got to deal with the resurrection. You've got to deal with with all the historical evidence that's there that 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 this actually happened, and you, you have over 500 recorded eyewitnesses to the fact you've got 12 disciples that that gave their lives or 11 of the 12 gave their lives for it john died you know of natural causes at old age you've also got to contend with the fact that every ivy league university except for one was founded by people who believe in the resurrection of christ uh namely christians um you know you've got to contend with all of that like this it, it, it you can't just push it to the side and and say, well, based on the way that I interpret, you know, the way the universe is working right now, there can't be a God. It's either that or there's a God who's up to things that we can't quite understand uh, from our limited and finite perspective. And, and maybe, maybe he understands things better than we do um, if, in fact, he's the creator of the world. You know, you know C.S. Lewis once uh, wrote uh, about his former life as an atheist. He said, he said, I was angry at God for not existing. And, and that, that's, that's, that's a bit how the article you just cited sounds mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, the, you know, the Shakespeare's line, you know, you protest too much. You, you're, you're showing that you actually don't believe what you're saying by, by the degree of your protest. And, and I, I think the stronger the protest against God, uh, in all likelihood beneath that is, is, is more of an anger toward God uh, or a disillusionment about God than it is a disbelief in God. Um, otherwise, why would you be so angry? I, I never see people get infuriated with, with Mickey Mouse uh, because we know that Mickey Mouse isn't a real creature or mm -hmm. with, or with Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, for instance, we don't, we don't get upset with Gandalf because we, we, we see him as a fictional character. I think people get mad at God because they know he's real. Yeah. Um, and, and so anyway, well, that's a, that's a very smart response you gave me, and I appreciate that. I, I think one of the reasons I brought it up, too, is in this age when we have an opportunity to be uh, connecting to people, uh, just to be reminded that there are a lot of people that think the way this person thinks. And I say we as believers need to be speaking truth. So Scott Sauls is my guest. We'll take a little break. Be right back. You can head over to scottsauls.com.
Welcome back to the show. Scott Sauls is my guest. He is the uh, senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, author of four books, Jesus Outside the Lines, Befriend from Weakness to Strength and Irresistible Faith. And he also blogs regularly at scottsauls.com. And Scott, uh, just recently now you published an, an essay by your friend Philip Johnston, which I found very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really was had a lot to do with what's going on in Italy and I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Uh, with what's going on in Italy right now, I, I, I got to be—I got to be honest with you. It's been so many weeks since I've read Philip's essay. This yeah. was like four four weeks to a month ago. I just remember it being very thoughtful. Uh, but I'm I'm a little bit outdated yeah. in my thinking on COVID. Can you can you pinpoint a yeah, specific absolutely. point in there that you want to Ab- talk about? No, absolutely. When the country went on lockdown on March 9th, uh, the largest uh, pornogra- uh, pornographic website said, "Look, at we're gonna we're gonna take the premium service. We're gonna eliminate that. Everything's gonna be free for the whole month. So there's no credit card re- uh, no credit card information required. Just log on and just have at it. So uh, yeah. the country was saying, obviously you're gonna be home cooped up, and we want to uh, turn you from maybe a sporadic user to a, a yeah. hardcore user." Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think, you know, from a from a business perspective, I think that that probably the porn sites are going to um, to get a lot of new customers uh, through that offer. And and um, yeah. And and so the the porn um, usage is is going to to increase probably exponentially as a result of that. Yeah. And I think Philip's point, which he said, you know, um, the, there's most of the stories are, you know, about the overburdened hospital systems and infection numbers and events that have been canceled. But there's something that's, uh, you know, going on in the heart of people who are starting to self-medicate and who are looking for anything other um, than God to be their answer and their solution. And I think down the road, there's going to be a whole host of mental health problems um, and things that are going to be just terribly gone wrong as a result of what's happening with people stuck at home for this month. Well, I think so. And I think a lot of it, too, even if you're not looking at pornography, um, isolation is not good for the human soul. We're we're not wired for... um, for separation. We're, we're, we're wired to be in community. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, God spoke that truth into paradise before the fall even happened with Adam and Eve. He said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, the UK, uh, just a couple of years ago, um, started a new pit position. It's one of the high, highest positions in their government, uh, it's called the Minister of Loneliness because they they recognize that that isolation and loneliness contribute very significantly to uh, to mental health struggles and you know depression, anxiety, you know all the way to despair for for certain people in certain situations. And so I think you know even if you aren't um, you know latching on to to habits that, that might be unhealthy, like substance abuse or pornography or what have you in your, in all your time at home. Um, just the, the, the sheer, um, uh, reality of being 
isolated is going to cause some significant struggle. And I agree with all of that. And we have uh, choices every day that we make. And there's a great quote in this story, and I can't, uh, I think it was Annie Dillard that said in in The Writing Life, she wrote, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Uh, And what we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. And I thought that's a very profound thought. Um, And I think we can all say, how are we spending our days? Because that is, in fact, how we're spending our lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's a... How, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Um, you know, I, I've never quite understood that statement. Um, it just seems Do you want me to explain so it to self. You? Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, I get, you know, you, what you air, invest in a little, what you invest in the small moments is what you become as a human being. Maybe I, 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 I I need to read that more in its context. But yeah. yeah, explain that to me. Well, I'll do it off air because I don't want to waste your time, okay. on, you know, because okay. you're the guest and I want you to do most of the talking. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> but um, um, so anyway. Mumford and Sons said that too. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. Something similar to that in one of their yeah, lives. Kind of, kind of the yeah. same thing. I mean, whatever, yeah. you, whatever you do habitually is, you know, is what you, it's how, it's how you're defined after a while. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So um, any words of encouragement for uh, my listeners on this uh, Monday after Easter? I mean, Christ is risen. The the things that are going to matter 100 years from now um, have not been altered or injured or threatened at all. And and I I think that's one of the hardest things uh, to do and also one of the most necessary things to do as followers of Christ is, is to realize that that perhaps our hardest work as Christians, and this was in my Easter message yesterday, uh, our hardest work uh, is to believe that God loves us at all times uh, and, um, and, and to also believe that his promises are true. And uh, you know, there's a there's kind of a, a little cliche that we we've come up with in our church, and we repeat it often, especially in times of worry and fear. The long term for those who have placed their trust in Christ, in particular, which I assume is a lot of people in your audience, um, the long term worst case scenario is resurrection and everlasting life. That's as bad as it's going to get 100 years from now and 10,000 years from now. And I, I think if we, we take eternity and look at it all at this, at the life we're living now in the perspective, inside the perspective of eternity, um, this is very short term, this life that we've been given. You know, Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians 4, where he's just experiencing brutal persecution and isolation and starvation and famine and nakedness and sword is the way he describes it. And, and, and he says, but all of these things, uh, are light and momentary afflictions, uh, which, which is kind of unfathomable because if I went through the things that he went through, I, I don't know if I'd be able to handle it, but he says, all these things are light and momentary afflictions compared to the weight of glory that awaits, uh, those who, have placed their hope in Christ. And, and so I think a season like this is a time to, to once again, get reestablished and reconnected and re-anchored 
uh, and where our hope really lasts. I mean, even Job uh, said it in the middle of of his, you know, wrestling match with God. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will stand with him uh, on that day. Uh, uh, and and that's our that that's ultimately our hope. Um, you know, if 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 COVID doesn't get us, something else will. You know, the mortality rate is still one person for every one person, and unless Christ returns uh, before that time, we're all going to face something even worse uh, than what we're facing right now, uh, when we face our own death or the death of those that we love. And and so, you know, maybe this is a time to to cultivate that deathbed spirituality that that so many of us have witnessed in others where there's this incredible peace and, and, and anchoring that comes over people who've cultivated uh, deep faith all of their life. And then when the moment of testing comes, they're, they're ready. Um, you know, maybe this is one of those seasons just to dig deeper with, with the Lord and, and, um, you know, anchor our hope again, uh, put it, put our treasures in heaven, you know, as, as Jesus said, right. Uh, where mm. neither moth nor dust will destroy. Yeah. Scott, thank you so much for doing the show. Have a wonderful evening and a nice dinner with your family, and have a great rest of the week. Okay, thanks. You Appreciate bet. it. Good you to be bet. with you again. Yeah, All thanks, right. Scott. Scott Sauls has been my guest. Go to scottsauls.com. That wraps up our show for the day. Have a great night, everyone. God bless, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.